Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it is my first opportunity to say Happy New Year to you. So, Happy New Year. I hope that you had a wonderful time. As many of you know, my family, uh, we got to do something we've never done before, and we got to go to Florida uh, for the holidays-ish. We left on the day after Christmas, and we drove 17 and a half hours uh, to Destin, Florida. Um, fun fact, south of Cincinnati, people don't know how to deal with snow, and uh, it will slow you down, and I-65 is, I'm pretty sure that's uh, the third corner of hell, and um, <laughs> we spent uh, more hours on that highway than I care to remember. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Janice. But you're a water woman. Water woman, yeah. Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1, please. Philippians chapter 1, these, this scripture is not going to be on the screen, but I just want to read this for you uh, this morning. This, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. He says, every time I thank of you, verse 3, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. As I've approached uh, this month, um, these final uh, four weeks that I have to, to be on this platform with you, I've done a lot of praying, a lot of meditating, a lot of thinking um, about uh, what I wanted to say, but also about what needed to be said. I, I, I did not do an official count, but I just kind of looked uh, at my files. I have preached uh, roughly 300 or so sermons uh, here in, in the years that I've been here, and that's just here um, that I've preached. So you guys have probably heard enough, uh, but, um, I, and I suppose that in some way there's a temptation in a situation like this, to get out the last bits of what someone might feel is important. Um, but more pressing on my spirit is this. I, I have always taken the responsibility of being your pastor very seriously because I believe that there will come a day when I will have to give an account for all that I have done and all that I have said. And with that in mind, as God leads me into a new season of ministry, I, I do have some final thoughts that um, I believe are important, 
and I want to share them with you. So this is what I'm going to focus on for these next four weeks. The Apostle Paul wrote a lot of great stuff, and um, one of those great letters is the letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi that we just read from together. Um, I actually preached from this letter in my first year of ministry here, did a series uh, with you all, and I, and I want to return there as I, as I have these last few weeks with you, but with a different goal in mind. This letter from Paul is written from a season in his life when he was in prison, and, and the church that he is writing to is a church that Paul was deeply invested in. Uh, he had started this church, planted this church, if you will. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, how much time, but, but he would have spent enough time with that church to get them off the ground and to get them firmly seated. He was invested in the church in Philippi. They were very important to him. In fact, he says right there in verse 7, he says, it's right that I should feel about you as I do because you have a special place in my heart. Um, in, in our years of ministry, we have, we have served in a handful of different churches, and I'll be honest with you, some of those churches, when we left, it was time to go. Uh, it, was, it was not a healthy environment, but the, the majority of those experiences have been healthy environments, and God opened up a door or called us into something new. And in those particular instances, the relationships that have been formed when the time that we were there have become so incredibly valuable to us. Those people are important to us because we are invested there. Prior to coming here, we had been in ministry. I had served as an associate pastor in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We'd been there for seven years. And in those seven years, we formed some incredible friendships with some incredible people. And I'm going to be honest with you, if you move 14 hours away, those relationships do change a little bit. But what's amazing is that when we get back together with those that we have been separated from, it's like no time has passed because we are invested in them and they were invested in us and they are important to us and we are important to them and we love them. And the church, we still love the church and we pray for the church and we want what is best for the church. You see, these people that, that Paul had invested in this church that had been uh, so, he had been so much a part of. It all mattered a great, great deal to him. They were important to him. The work that had gone on there and would go on there was important to him. And as for me, as I prepare to step away from here and I follow God's direction for my life and for my ministry, I look at what Paul says to the church in Philippi, and it's also what I want to say to you. The church, this church, has been such a significant part of my life. I have grown here. My ministry has grown here. It's been a wonderful experience. This church that I love and I care deeply about, I'll get it out. Don't worry. It'll be done. This church that I love and I care so deeply about, I have some final thoughts I want to share with you. The work of God is not yet finished in this place. You know, <clears throat> it's kind of been fun to be a part of a church that has a rich history 
like New Philadelphia does, over 100 years. I remember when I, when I first came here in 2016, it had only been a handful of years since you all had celebrated your 100-year anniversary. And I remember one of the first things that was given to me was a book that had been created and put together that was celebrating the 100-year anniversary. And I have, I have looked through that book time and time and time again, and I have read those stories time and time and time again. And not only have I read those stories and looked through that book many, many times, I've actually been in this building and in this space enough times to see the impact of the generations that came before this one. I have been there when walls came down, and on the studs behind those walls were the names of the men who built that wall the first time. I have been in the room where the cabinets were built by someone from this church. I have pulled back something to see a piece of history from someone who was in this church for many years. When we took the pews out of here, I'm pretty sure that some of you who are in your 60s, we pulled your gum off the bottom of those pews. The flavor was still there. <laughs> God's been working at Impinaz for generations because those who came before us were willing vessels in God's hands. You know, countless times we've gone back and we've told the stories of those that came before us, those that gave of their time, uh, gave of their talent, they, the, the great gatherings, the raising of buildings, the souls that were saved at these very altars, the list could go on and on. And some of you who are in this space this morning, you are connected to those stories because of your own family ties. But all of us are connected because of our association with this fellowship, with this church, when you become a part of this family, you become a part of the family that's gone before us and the family that will come after us. But I also want you to understand that God is going to continue to work in Pinaz for generations, provided that you remain willing vessels in God's hands. And the key to this, this part is that you, the family of Pinaz, remain willing. We sometimes like to see God as this entity that, that sets a course for what needs to happen and, and that, that, that's essentially forced upon his creation. And that gives birth to the phrase that God is in control. Mm. I'm going to offer you a counter to that because I don't like that phrase. I don't like the phrase that God is in control because what happens is, is we look at every single thing that's going on in our life, every bad thing that's going on, well, God's in control. Let me tell you something, the bad things that are happening, the destruction, the death is not a part of God's plan. That is not God controlling things. My counter to that would be this, God is sovereign. And God is certainly over all things, and God has a will, and I would even say that God has a plan, and his plan, as we all should know very well, is primarily that he wants to bless us. He wants to bless you, and he wants you to be a blessing, but he never removes from you the ability to make a decision. He never removes from you the ability to make a choice of whether you want to be inside of his will or you want to be outside of his will, whether you want to be obedient or whether you want to be disobedient. And when we look back at those who came before us, many of them chose to be obedient to the point of great sacrifice. 
They gave what they had. They gave of themselves. And God is still asking for that from each one of you. God has great work to do. The question is whether or not you want to be a part of it. Whether or not you're willing to be moldable, workable, flexible vessel in the hands of a loving God. You see, Paul says in his letter to the church in Philippi, he says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. You see, Paul knows that God's work is going to continue. It's the same work, Paul says, that began in the hearts of the people. It's the same work that brought about their transformation of their hearts and their spirits. It's the work that God continues intends to continue doing. I spoke recently somewhere about the idea of process. In other words, the, the actions and the steps that one takes in order to meet a particular end. And in the case of what Paul is writing about, the process is the work that God is doing in you and through you until it finds its fulfillment in Jesus' return. So notice what Paul says here. He says, I am certain that God will continue his work. I am certain that God will continue his work. And I echo the Apostle Paul's words when I say that I am certain I am certain that God will continue to do his work, but the challenge is this. Listen to me this morning. The work that God has begun, the work that God has done in you and through you will continue, but whether or not you are involved depends entirely upon your decision. Imagine with me for a moment I don't know why I folded my sleeves. It's annoying me. Imagine with me for a moment (laughs) when God went to Moses. We know the story. Moses had, had to flee Egypt, and he was living elsewhere, and God went to Moses, and God said, this is the Mark International Version. God said to Moses, hey, Moses, I need you to, you know, free my people from from Egypt. And Moses is like, nah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't really want to do that. Funny thing is, he kind of did say that. Um, he he kind of did try to argue with God, God, I'm not your guy, I don't want to do that. And in the end, we do see that Moses kind of, he, he did come around and he did do what God asked him to do. But just for a moment, would you imagine with me, what if Moses had said, nah, I'm not your guy? Do you think that God would have been like, man, that whole children of Israel thing, pff, that's a loss. You say, God went to Moses, and he asked Moses, and Moses struggled with it, and he fought with it, but eventually, Moses chose to be obedient. Why? Because it is a personal decision to be obedient to God. It's also a corporate decision, church. It's also a decision that we make together. You, the church, must corporately decide to continue to be in step with what God is doing to continue to be obedient to what God has commanded and to what God directs for your lives and for the work of this church. And perhaps one of the questions that we ask ourselves sometimes is, what does it look like when God is working? Or how can we recognize the work of God? Well, Paul goes on a few verses later, read it again. He says this, he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding for what I want you to understand 
I want you to understand what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. You see, this is how I think this works. This is how God works. Number one, he works through your love. And the way that Paul describes it, it's a love that overflows more and more. It's a love that you're to have for one another, but it's also a love that you're to have for the community that God has placed you in. It's a love that cannot be restrained by your perception or by your prejudice, but it is given freely without hesitation and without reservation because this is how God has loved you. And sometimes you may hear people use the phrase, I don't have to like you, but I have to love you. Have you ever heard that? You may even use that phrase yourself. I get where it comes from. I've had the same thought because some people are more difficult to love. I'm more difficult to love. That's too many amens. <laughs> I heard you, Lisa. But we have to get away from the idea that we have to love others. We get to love others. We get to love other people. We get to express this love that comes down from a creator God. It's poured all over us, and it's given without fail or without hesitation. It looks beyond your weaknesses and beyond your failures. God's love crosses this divide that sin has created, a divide that we often try to stretch out on our own and make bigger through our own unholy choices, because regardless of how wide we seek to make that divide, the love of God is still reaching to us. And this is the same kind of love that God calls us to give to others. There's no difference. I could share scripture after scripture with you today. Just, just Google it. What does the Bible say about love? One of the things the Bible says is this. Let's continue loving one another for love comes from God and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. The work of God is demonstrated through your love, and it's also seen through your growth and knowledge and understanding. The word that Paul uses here for knowledge in the original Greek means having a personal recognition. He's saying that there is a necessary and important continued growth in personally recognizing who God is and what that really means for your life. As you know, I love the Proverbs, and I, I've said many, many times from here, um, I've encouraged you, especially if you, are, if you are not in the Word of God every day, start with the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters. It works out pretty well for most months. You can read one chapter. In fact, today, hold on. So the book of Proverbs talks a whole lot about pursuing God and pursuing wisdom and having an increased understanding of God and having an increased knowledge of God. In fact, today, Proverbs chapter 8, today's reading, if you've read it, you know exactly what I'm about to tell you. It says this in Proverbs chapter 8. It says, listen as wisdom calls out. Here as understanding raises her voice on the hilltop along the road. She takes her stand at the crossroads by the gates at the entrance to the town on the road leading in. She cries aloud. I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people, you simple people. 
people. Use good judgment, you foolish people. Show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Paul says, I hope you would grow in that kind of knowledge and understanding. That's what it looks like when God is working in you, when you're pursuing the knowledge of God, and then you want to pursue the knowledge of God some more, and you want to pursue the knowledge of God just a little bit more. In other words, the pursuit of God is not something that can be contained on a Sunday morning for about an hour. There must be a deep and desperate desire that exists in you to know, to to touch the heart of God. I can tell you there have been seasons in my life, there have been seasons in the six years that I have been here where I have faltered in this area and where I have not been as passionate as I needed to be about pursuing the heart of God. Because I'll let you guys in on a little secret that I've probably told you before. It is really easy when you are spending four to six days a week in the Word of God preparing for this moment right here to forget to spend seven days a week in the Word of God preparing this right here. And there have been seasons that I've fallen into that trap. You know what happens when I fall into that trap? I begin to lose clarity. I begin to feel a little bit confused. I begin to feel frustrated. Sometimes I've even felt lost. But then what always happens for me is I come to my senses and I recognize what I've done and I repent of that failure to chase after God. And I renew that passion that once prevailed in my spirit. Then God begins to remove the scales from my eyes and he begins to remove the fog from my spirit. And I can once again see with great clarity and great conviction what he has called me to do. Paul is saying that when God is working, there's a growth in our personal recognition of who God is, what God is doing, and we can see it with greater clarity because we are intimate with the heart of God. And finally, he says in verse 11 that when God is working, it's seen through the fruit of your salvation. We've got to go back one verse before and see this. He says, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Do you know what doesn't really matter? Do you know what doesn't really matter? Pretty much near everything. What doesn't really matter are the things that we have made matter in our lives. What doesn't really matter are the things that we have chosen to invest in, to commit our times to, to focus our families around, to put our money into. Those things don't really matter, but what really matters, what is truly important to the heart of God is saving those who are lost and the building and the maturing of his children to be a reflection of who he is. What really matters to God is to build the kingdom, to nurture nurture the kingdom, and to watch it explode for the sake of God's glory. That's what really matters to God. 
What really matters is the salvation that you claim, the testimony that you give. It's not just an experience. It's not just a story. It's not just a season of your life. It's the very essence of who you are. That's what really matters. And the evidence is the fruit that you produce, Paul says. Paul says that this fruit is a righteous character that's produced in your life by all the good things that you do. No, by Jesus Christ. It's not a product of how good you are. It's a product of how good God is. But this all comes down to an individual and a corporate obedience to God. On a very practical level, this is what I'm asking of you. I am asking that each one of you step up and step out. There is work to be done. The mission must move forward. God has great things for you and for this community through you if you are willing to be obedient. Don't misunderstand me. Please don't misunderstand me. <clears throat> I, am, I am not the end all. One thing that I have said to you guys so many times over the past six years is that one of the incredibly challenging but beautiful things about the Bride of Christ is that there are four things that are always going to change. Personalities, which are pastors. The places where you gather to worship, these buildings are temporary. The programs, which is the ministries and the things that we sometimes make idols in the church, and the people. Look to your left, look to your right, they may not be here next week. Those four things are always going to change in the bride of Christ. But what must not, what cannot, what will not change in the bride of Christ is the mission that God has given you. That does not change. It must not change. You are entering into a season of transition. I am entering into a season of transition and I, I have no doubt that in this season there's going to be some challenging days. There are going to be good days. There are going to be bad days. But one thing must remain in place. My choice and your choice to be obedient to what God has called us to do. The good work that God began in your heart and in my heart will continue. The question is, are you willing and ready to be obedient? Uh, in 1946, Mark Batterson writes about this in his book, Win the Day. I've been uh, doing some devotional work out of that book, and he shares this story. In 1946, a plane took off from a small airport, and that plane was carrying a kind of a unique payload. It was six pounds of dry ice. And that plane's mission was to go fly up into the cloud and to release the dry ice in the hope that that solidified carbon dioxide would create enough condensation to actually cause precipitation. And so the pilot got in his plane, he took off from the airport, and he flew up, and he flew into this cumulus cloud. And he opened up the plane and released the dry ice into the cloud. And the eyewitnesses 
who later told about it, they said it was like an explosion in the cloud. And the snowfall that came as a result of that could be seen for 40 miles around. They call that process seeding the cloud. And, and there's a science b- behind it. It's, it's, you know, not something that's been around forever. It's kind of a more modernish idea in the past 100 plus years. But the idea is, is actually something that's as old as the prophet Elijah. There was a famine in the land where Elijah was. It had been going on for several years, about three and a half years. And so Elijah decided to seed the clouds with prayer. So he climbed to the top of the mountain, Mount Carmel, and he bowed low to the ground. Scripture says he prayed with his face between his knees. Mark Mark Battison writes in his book that there are lots of ways to seed the clouds. Humility catalyzes God's favor. Generosity activates reciprocity. And old-fashioned obedience sets the table for unborn tomorrows. You can seed the clouds in many different ways, but none are more powerful than prayer. When was the last time you found yourself in a position like Elijah? You see, what we see in Elijah was extreme humility, but also an intensity. He wasn't just praying. Elijah was believing in God for a miracle. He was believing in God for an answer, for direction. Elijah was choosing in that moment to be obedient to God. And the elephant in the room that I don't want to be an elephant in the room because I think that there is a healthier way for us to do this, church. You have a new pastor coming. And I am praying for that man or that woman. And I am eager to see what they do. And I, and I am eager to see what happens to New Philadelphia Nazarene two, four, six, eight, ten years down the road. And I'm eager to to one day be able to walk back in here and go, wow, man, look what you guys have done. Look how God has worked through you. Look at the amazing things that are happening. I'm so excited for you. I'm so happy for you. But guys, I believe in order for those things to happen, we have to seed the cloud. I know that the search for a pastor is not easy because the church that I'm going to did it for 14 months. And so I think that we need to be seeding the cloud and asking God to cut that down a bit. I believe we need to be seeding the cloud and praying that God would bring new harvest workers into this fellowship, that God would give you a greater reach in the community where he has placed you, that God would raise up more leaders from right within your ranks to say, you know what, I can do this and, and I can feel that void. I believe we have to seed that cloud, church, together. You have to do that. 
And so I'm going to ask you to join me in seeding the clouds. Because I believe that if we'll pray, that God will hear and he'll answer our prayers. I believe that if we pray, we get ourselves in the right position to receive all that God has for us. I believe that if we pray, it serves to catalyze our hearts and our spirits to be ready to do the work that God has for us. It gives us direction. It helps us as we seek to grow in our knowledge and our understanding, and it helps us to love better, much more. And I believe that even outside of the scope of of praying for this church and praying for whatever pastor God has lined up for this church, I believe outside of that, there are some clouds that need to be seated in some of your lives. Some of you are praying for a, 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 a fresh rainfall on your marriage. Some of you are praying for a fresh rainfall on your finances. Some of you are praying for a fresh rainfall on your children. Some of you are praying for a fresh rainfall in your job. But guys, if you want to see that kind of a downpour, if you want to experience God move and respond to what's going on in your life, man, you better start seeding the clouds. You better start praying like you believe God can do what he said he will do. That's what Elijah did. Elijah didn't pray and say, God, I sure hope this works out. Sure would be nice if you'd show up and do it. No, God, Elijah said, God, do this. I know you will. I know you're faithful. It may not happen in my time, but it'll happen in yours. And I know you're faithful, so God, I'm praying. I'm asking you to do this. So that's what we're going to do, guys, today. In fact, for the next four weeks, every end of our service is going to be like this. I'm going to ask Janice to come up. She's going to play. The praise team's going to be ready in a moment, but we are going to seed the clouds together. We're going to pray. And so I'm going to invite you, church, for those of you who are comfortable with it, we're going to gather around these altars. I know there's a couple of people that want to be anointed. I want to, James, I haven't even talked to you about it. I want to anoint James. He has surgery this week. We're going to anoint Denny here in a little while as well. Anybody else wants to be anointed for prayer? We're going to pray for those, but we're also going to pray for the pastor that God has for this church. We're going to pray for our board as they carry the weight of searching for that pastor, that God will give them wisdom and God will give them discernment. We're going to pray for the the lay leadership in this church, our teachers, our volunteers who give so much of their time. And we're going to pray that God will give them supernatural strength to sustain we're going to pray for Pastor Matt and Pastor Miranda as they step in and they, they fill the void of trying to lead in this place. We're going to pray for, I almost called her Pastor Janice. We're going to pray for Janice as she continues to work here. Would you pray for my family as I go away for most of the week and, and as we're separated? Would you pray for us as we seek to sell our house and buy a new house? Would you pray for the church that I'm going to? It's called Pickerington Church of the Nazarene. Would you pray for them? Would you pray for me to have wisdom beyond my vision for what God wants to do there. Could we pray for those things? I think that would be healthy. I think that would be appropriate. So I'm going to invite you to come to the altar right now, and we're going to move into a time of prayer. And if you want to pray out loud, I'm going to invite you to pray out loud. If you want to pray over one, come to the altar if you want to pray. If you don't, that's fine. I'm taking a risk right here. But we're going to pray together. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray over one another. And we're going to sing together. We're going to close out our time. But I'm invite you to be a part of this to help us see the cloud with prayer, believing that God will be faithful.